Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to another edition of the Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighborhood watchmaker Rob Nuds, and my co-host Alan Ben Joseph. Today we have something very exciting to share with you. This is a watch industry first, so you'll never have encountered it before because it really is the first time this has ever been done. We have the exclusive rights to communicate the newest member of the Chapek Antarctic family. But because we're an audio-only channel, we've decided to go about it in a rather novel way, which was actually suggested to us by Javier de Rocamorel himself, the CEO of Chapek, and that is to do a blind reveal with the help of our good friend Ben Lee, otherwise known as Ink Dial. So this is a three-way collaboration between The Real Time Show, Chapek, and Ink Dial to bring you the first look of the Chapek Antarctic skeleton. Now, how is this going to work? Well, firstly, Alon and I are going to have a little bit of a discussion about the Antarctic, what makes it special, and why we love it so much. And then I'm going to speak to Javier, who's going to describe the watch to us in all of its glory and give us a little bit of background about its development. And finally, I'll call Ben and I will give him a much more technical breakdown of exactly what it is he needs to illustrate so that the rest of you can get a good idea of what this watch looks like. He's going to do his level best to draw it and get it as close as possible, but I won't be showing him the image until the watch itself is actually revealed next week at Watches and Wonders. So if he makes a mistake, <laughs> well, it'll be pretty funny. What do you think of this, Alan? Super, super fun. You know, we are inventing games and we started off with our first episode with the predictions of the GPHG where we're like provoking each other and it's like a guessing game and we're keeping track. This is really fun. So Xavier, thank you very much for A, coming up with it and giving us the privilege to be the first to ever do this and to discuss this new novelty. Super exciting and super cool that we're doing this in a triangle with Ben Lee, who is the man behind Ink Dial. You can find him on inkdial.co.uk and his name is spelled B-E-N-N-L-I. That's right. Ben's work is some of the finest out there and I am the proud owner of one of his pieces myself, which hangs neatly on my wall in my living room and I love seeing what he comes up with. This is certainly going to be a challenge because <laughs> Chevier gave me the opportunity to pick from all of the Chepek novelties released this year, which one did I want to describe to Ben? And I went for this one because I think he's got a pretty good chance of getting it accurate, but the description of it is obviously going to be very technical because this is a skeletonized movement. It's a slightly reworked version of the SXH5, which is the standard micro rotor movement that powers the Antarctic and was developed with Chronode. So we have got some new pieces here. We've got a slightly reworked layout, which is the most interesting thing and the, the thing I'll have to focus on getting right when I chat to Ben. But yeah, it's another one, another great chapter in the short but lauded history of the Chapek Antarctic, which began all the way back in 2020. I wrote my first article about the Chapek Antarctic Terra Adeli secret alloy watch, as it was known back then. So that was one of the first articles written about the Antarctic. I was one of the first journalists to have it in my hands. And the title of that article was Chapek Antarctic Terra Adeli secret alloy watch is a game changer. And the subtitle was The Established Order of Luxury Steel Sports Watches is Under Threat. Now, I'm quite pleased to say that turned out to be relatively prescient because ever since then, of course, we have seen the Chapek Antarctic family explode in popularity, send ripples through the industry and 
turn Chapek's annual production targets on their head. And the whole company is now being reworked to try and catch up with the storm of interest this model and its subsequent offshoots has created. Alan, what was your first encounter with the Antarctic and what do you think of it as a watch? So the first encounter was, I guess the year it came out and I fell in love with it immediately. Always loved integrated bracelet models. And I believe it was the same year that the Streamliner by H. Moses came out as well. And also loved that model. But I guess... I love the cubistic design of the mid-link of the bracelet of the Antarctic by Chapek more. Don't know why, it speaks to me. It's very bold, very contemporary. The Frozen Star was my favorite until the Rattrapante came out, but that's very, very steep in price. And now we see this one. So I think that although you know I love titanium and the dark sector was already launched, I believe this week. So a full titanium version of the Antarctic with a rather modern take of a sector dial called the dark sector. Although it's done beautifully, it's not my favorite, strangely enough. I don't know why, because maybe the, 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 the indexes for the hours are raised. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm not head over heels. Although I love the fact that the mid-links, the, the, the let, let them call them U-shaped mid-links are satin finished as well in titanium, which I think is cool. But what you and I are res- uh, speaking about at the reveal now, that's, that, that takes the price for me. And now I know why you've chosen that one as well. It's stunning, the configuration of the movement and where everything is positioned is amazing. The first thing you and I in stereo said, look at the seconds hand. Look where the sub-dial of the seconds is positioned. In between the four and five, you immediately see that it's a proprietary designed movement and nothing you've seen before. It's sublime. I love it. You know, there's a couple of things to say about that titanium dark sector dial. Firstly, you can actually get the steel bracelet with brushed center links. I think we call them C-links, but U-links works just as well. It just depends which way you're looking at them. I don't wear the brushed bracelet myself. I have the polished uh, C-U-links. But I think in titanium, obviously, that works really nicely. The darkness is, is really attractive. The sector dial, for me, is... Yeah, not the not the most extravagant, but it is very low key and stealthy. I mean, just to give you an idea of where I come down on the Chapex, I think my favorite one besides the Viridian Green version I have on my wrist right now is the piece unique made for Doctor I am Refat. That's R E F A A T, and it has a red hand lacquered dial which looks like this swirling distant intergalactic nebula or whatever the hell you want to call it it's absolutely gorgeous and the coolest thing about that watch for me is that the case let's call it capsule there's actually sort of a solid uh, circular metal case capsule that slides into the outer sheath of the case and can be seen through a window on the left hand side of the watch that is actually engraved 
he's got this penchant for wolf heads and it's got these wolf heads on the side of the case that you can see poking through the little cut out there on the left hand side and he also has a wolf head actually engraved in the movement because he wanted to remove the seconds hands and by doing so it left the space in the movement that Chapek offered to engrave with another wolf head so you know that's the kind of opulence that i adore that's where my favor falls and so the dark sector is really entirely in the other direction but i very much appreciate that that means it will appeal to a lot of people that maybe found the dials up until this point a little bit too extravagant a little bit too in your face shall we say this one is as muted as they come and with the nicely satinated titanium case and bracelet or on the gray rubber strap which is a really cool look I think you have a very welcome addition to the collection. Talking about that Ratrapan, you said it was an expensive model, of, I mean, a different kind of price proposition, but this dark sector is 32,000 Swiss francs. Okay, so that's about 10,000 Swiss francs more than the regular Antarctic models that we've seen in the past and similar in price to the skeleton that we're going to be revealing to you today blindly with Ben's help. But the Ratrapant, when it was released, was actually only €43,400 excluding taxes, which sounds like an absolute bargain in comparison when you think, oh, well, it's only another 10000 up there. And I was trying to figure out for ages why the Ratrapant was so reasonably priced. And I did come across something that shone a little bit of light on it. I was studying the case back and I was looking at the movement and I was thinking, you know what this is? This is a heavily modified Chronode C102. But most of the modification has been done on the dial side. And so Chapek rather cleverly has developed this movement in conjunction with their movement partner and done so to ensure you have a very reliable, very stable mechanism on the back, powering something that looks wildly complicated, but is actually a dial side modification that doesn't change the regular architecture of the movement that much at all. And so that's how they've done it. And I know that 43,000 is not cheap. I know that that's a lot of money in anyone's book, mine included. But I do think when you look at that watch, okay, let's add the taxes on. If you're in Amsterdam, for example, you're going to add another eight or nine grand on there. So it's over 50K. It's over 50K. But when we're talking about watches in the grand scheme of things, it's not the most ridiculously priced model going and i think as you described earlier that this new antarctic skeletonized model is like the baby version of the retropan and offers people who were interested in the aesthetic of a retropan that maybe didn't want the retropan chronograph mechanism itself but like that kind of cutaway look something that they can get their teeth into for a more accessible however high price you and I are really, really watch nerds, and we're very deep in it. And unfortunately, it's not that exciting, this episode, because we both love, love Chapek and the Antarctic. So in that sense, we, we don't have uh, our regular quarrels where we don't agree with each other, especially when uh, David's on the show as well. It's Those are the fun episodes. So for our listeners that are not that familiar with Chapek, why is Chapek so special? And why did this uh, Antarctic model resonate so hardcore with collectors and did it explode that they had to close their order books? They didn't take on new order books. And what are they doing this year, Chapek? Are they opening up order books again? 
Okay, well, I'll address the questions in reverse order, if I can remember them on. The novelties will, of course, be available to be ordered, but not delivered yet because production increase is the goal. At the moment, Chapik is doing everything it can to take control of as many parts of the process as it is able to take control of so that it isn't held up as it was in the past quite drastically by suppliers who were unable to meet the increase in demand or even to fulfill their original obligations in terms of supplying, I don't know, buckles, let's say, or minute hands, I don't know. And that is something Chapek is going to try and avoid in the future as it looks to more than quadruple its planned maximum output to try and make up for the backlog of orders that exist. So we're going to see a couple more Antarctiques come out and next week, Watchers and Wonders. We're going to see some new dials that haven't been seen before that have been inspired, I believe, by some historical textile industry, which is going to be interesting. Although, don't get your hopes up. You're not going to see like actually textile dials, like embroidered dials. That That isn't happening, at least not yet. We're going to see that. And obviously, we're going to see this skeletonized version, which itself also features those long claw indices. And that's about it at this juncture. And that's plenty. It's more than enough because as Xavier and I were saying the other day, we went on a lovely walk around Geneva and we were just chatting about like the incredible stresses he's enduring at the moment to pull the company up to this new level, which took a long time to achieve but sort of came almost suddenly you know because of the success of this model because of the antarctic so to your question why did it resonate so much with collectors i suppose that the industry was starved of real novelty and experimental design in the case and the bracelet and also in the case of the Antarctic, the dial, which I think was really crucial to it landing as it did with such an explosion of interest surrounding it. Since the 70s, there hasn't been a huge amount of novelty that has stuck. Of course, we've had novelties every year. We've had watches come out. We've had whole families become popular and fade out of the public consciousness. We've had cases expanding to crazy Schwarzenegger-esque diameters and then shrinking once more to more demure proportions. But we haven't really had those icons, those modern icons that stuck around in the collection. I think the closest thing I can maybe point to in the luxury steel sports watch game is the AP Offshore, which a lot of people regard as firstly a bastardization of the Royal Oak concept anyway, and something that should never have existed. So there hasn't been enough novelty. I think the Octo Finissimo was really like the earliest game-changing design, but you know the problem of the Finissimo, as much as I love it, I love it more academically than I do as a watch to wear. Now, I know you wear it and I know you adore it on the wrist and a great many people around the world do. And I still covet one because I think it's an absolute work of art. But I think there wasn't yet a real successor to the Royal Oak and the Nautilus until the Antarctique. And I do rate it ahead of the Finissimo and the Streamliner slightly. But I think those three really stand beautifully together as the trinity of luxury sports watch design in our generation. So I think that that's the reason why it caught fire so much. And I mean, journalists 
went wild for it. I mean, I remember the first time I saw it, it was delivered. I got the silver dial Terra Deli. It was delivered in a little plastic box, you know, those little component boxes with a sort of um, squishy membrane inside. So you can see the watch from the outside. It looks like the sort of thing you'd get out of a Japanese vending machine <laughs> or something that you'd keep a Pokemon card in. And I got this beautiful 20,000 euro sports watch. Of course, in those days, I think it was actually around 17200 before taxes. So the prices have really crept up as they should because, of course, demand is just pushing Chapek to make huge investments behind the scenes to meet that demand. So they need a little bit more cash. But I got it in this little box and I remember just opening it up and it was a prototype. So there was some things that weren't quite right about it. Like the date wheel was black. If you go back to my original article, you'll see that. And then on the SXH5 movement, you'll see that there was like a yellow gold rotor, which is now platinum, recycled platinum, I believe. And there was also, I think the central bridge for the seconds hand was actually black in that original movement but i'm not entirely sure now it's black polished it might just be the angle of the photography that i i I took on that movement but it looks black to me so i had it in my hands and i just i knew i knew in that moment and obviously i'm very prone to talk about this now because the industry ended up agreeing and the watch went from obscurity to the top name of everybody's wish lists that year because it was such a phenomenon but as much foresight as maybe i could claim to have had i just put it all down to the product and i kind of think (laughs) it sounds it sounds a bit brash but it was obvious it was really obvious to me like I was thrilled to be one of the first people to ever have it. And I was thrilled to be able to basically break that news that this was going to change the game. And I was really honored that I had the opportunity to throw my weight and enthusiasm behind it. But I honestly think any watch journalist worth their salt with a few years of hardcore experience of handling watches, of wearing watches, of analyzing watches for all sorts of reasons would have seen what I saw in it when they held it in their hands for the first time. There is something just bizarrely perfect about that model. And it was a wonderful canvas with which to play around. And Chapek have done some good things. Some some also like slight missteps, in my opinion, with the dial designs, but they've tried stuff. They've experimented. I mean, what a crazy thing that this housing that we're discussing works with a uh, brushed material dial like the original Lame finish on the Terra Deli and then the fling case stamp pattern of the Passage to Drake. Now we're going to see some, like I say, textile inspired textures on the dial. It works with polished stone. Do you remember that 11 piece limited edition they did for the Indian market, which was heaven. It works with hand enameling as we saw with the Nebula and the Emerald Iceberg and, and Dr. Rafit's special edition made exclusively for him. I mean, how is that possible? Now we see the sector dial coming. Now we see a skeletonized dial coming and it works. It works. That case is one for the ages. That bracelet is a thing of beauty and bracelet design. It's, it's the key. If you get it right, you've got a classic on your hands and Chapek really, really got it right. I agree with you. It's a beautiful canvas and you can take it all directions and I would love to see, for example, uh, Tadao Ando doing something with this canvas. 
or taking from one end of a spectrum of total Zen and inspired by Japanese Zen garden to very volatile tattooed watch that Chrono Passion did with also the Octophonissimo. You've actually literally spot on, banged the nail on the head. It is indeed a beautiful canvas, multifunctional. It's contemporary. It's new. They brought something new to the table. Um, and I think this is only the beginning of the journey. So that's actually very exciting to see and to experience it in real time. And it's actually amazing that you have been part of that history early on by leaving your mark with that beautiful green dial that for the record on air, this is airing before you and I meet up in Geneva physically and I'll bring my Octo because you raised the topic of the Octofinismo versus this watch. And I already said on air before that I'm going to steal the Antarctic off your wrist, definitely while we're there. And maybe I'll take it with me to Amsterdam without you noticing when you're hammered at one of these parties at night where we're hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what scares me is it just sounds so plausible. <laughs> it, cool, yeah, <laughs> and 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 the part of getting hammered and the part of me nicking your watch as uh, you you British people love to say. So um, because because the 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 tragedy and I'm exaggerating oh. obviously is that I've never held an antique in my hands or on my wrist longer than five minutes. What? Yeah. What? And, oh, and, no. and my most recent encounter was actually the private piece of the designer of the watch. And that was oh, also wow. a beautiful piece. And you can find it on my Instagram. You'll see a full satin white-ish antique uh, uh, snapped on my Insta. Um, so, so yeah, is it on my personal wish list? Yes. I do think that with the Octafinismo, I don't really like the skeletons as much as the closed dials. My favorite Octafinismo is still the most basic one, titanium, titanium dial, everything ton su ton, so tono on tono. Um, although I appreciate all the variations, but strangely enough with the Antarctic, I'm gravitating to either the textured dials like the Frozen Star or actually this uh, skeletonized one, whereas I'm not really a huge fan of skeleton usually. Um, and I know you aren't at all. But what you and I didn't discuss, because I think we should go back a bit to describing it a bit more, is I love the fact how it's not really transparent all the way through, right? Usually the art of skeletonizing is to have, uh, obviously, a sapphire crystal on top, but also a, a display back, so a crystal at the back. And then often you can see through and through. And, and that works beautifully if you have a micro rotor, which this watch has as well. But for guys like you and me that are beastly manly with a lot of hair, mm, yeah. um, <laughs> these watches are not... That's spectacular for us. But with this particular launch, they actually put only the part where the rotor is uh, almost at the nine o'clock position. Only that part is uh, uh, laid bare, so it's fully transparent. And the rest of the movement, so let's say 80% of the movement, you'll have depth going from top to bottom. And, and that's done beautifully. And what I enjoy very much so is 
you'll have a bridge for the main spring barrel going from about 12 to one and a half, so between one and two. Then you have a vivid one between five and 7.30, which holds the balance wheel and the hairspring. And then again, going from that 7.30 to almost 10 is the bridge that holds or suspends the micro rotor. So I know it's, it's, it's a bit poetic. I, d- I don't know why. It really speaks to me. So I can't wait to hold it in my hands next week and, and, and put it on my wrist. And I'll promise I'll make a wrist shot, post it on my Insta with my beastly hairy wrists, and then we'll see if it works or not. You know, there's a couple of things I really like about the way that they've gone about the skeletonization here. And you're absolutely right to point out that very little of this watch can be seen straight through. Really, not much at all, actually. Like you say, the most skeletonization occurs around the micro rotor and the balance wheel, which are both held in place by matching bow tie bridges, is how I suppose I describe, describe them. I suppose that's how I'd describe them. And it's nice. Uh, it's not too much. And guys like us, more hirsute gentlemen, shall we say, probably would gravitate towards this skeletonized watch of all skeletonized watches for exactly that reason. So, yeah, what I don't like about skeletonization generally, other than that hairy wrist problem, is that things tend to look a bit weak and a bit flimsy. Whereas here, what we really have is like a no dial version that's been nicely decorated i like the cutaway of the barrel and the barrel bridge that's something i always enjoy i like being able to see the mainspring i think the relocation of the second hand to a subdial is an interesting addition to the range because that obviously opens up a lot of possibilities going forward and it's weirdly enough the morning before i saw this watch for the first time i woke up with a dial design in mind for a new chapek antarctic and I'd been reading the Langer and Zona catalog the night before I went to bed, and I'd been dreaming about some Langer and Zona watches, especially that one that had the beautiful salmon-colored dial, but it was actually just frosted rose gold. And I was like, oh, you know what would be nice? An Antarctique with a frosted rose gold dial, maybe surrounded by like a black chapter ring with the long claw indices mounted onto it, but also with a seconds subdial at six o'clock recessed, like a separate part. So you could sort of recess the dial, polish the bevel down to another piece of frosted rose gold that could go underneath and have like a really nice, quite aggressive and modern as the hour and minute hands are styled seconds hand in that oversized subdial. And I woke up with this image in my head and i thought hey you could stick it in a blasted titanium case with a polished bezel polished case capsule and polished ceilings to really like hammer home how beautiful a thing that would be and then a few hours later valeria sends me this image and i see a subdial and i'm like ah it's not at six o'clock so my idea doesn't quite work as i'd intended but that's a start because if you've got that architecture in place there you can easily move that second hand with a couple of extra wheels that you could hide under the dial if you needed to. So yeah, I think it opens up some real interesting options and I can't wait to see what Chepek does with it. The one component that sticks out to me, and it's the last thing I'll say before I'll throw it over to you for a final thought and then we'll get Ben on the phone and I will begin describing this watch to him so he can 
draw it for all of us to see and enjoy and hopefully get close enough to the real thing for it to be representative of what's coming out next week. And the fact, and that component is the chapter ring here. If you look very, very closely at the image that we've got in front of us, Alan, you will see that that chapter ring appears to be semi-translucent. Now, I don't know what it's made of. It could be a smoked sapphire, for example. It could be something else. It could be plastic or mineral or I don't know what. But it's also a little larger than the original chapter ring of the Passage de Drake. And what's interesting about that is I think it's been extended so that those long indices have more of a foundation so that they can stick out into the middle of the movement, which is really the standout feature for me. And not just because of what it does to this design, but what it means for future designs going forward. Take that Indian special edition I referenced earlier, the 11-piece special edition that had a polished stone dial downside to it in my opinion was that the indices were absent it had instead a very plain white chapter ring with the markings dotted out on it in black and that i assume was because that material wouldn't react too well to being drilled to create space for the index feet that you would need for the long indexes that previously would have anchored themselves in the chapter ring and the center part of the dial now i think chapek have extended this chapter ring this rehort should i say really i suppose in this instance so far that those indexes can now have two anchor feet one at the back near the edge of the dial where they would normally be and then one somewhere in the middle which would normally be taking place by the dial that in this case is absent now we did see something very similar to this in the frozen star which used a flat chapter ring with the indices set into it protruding over the uneven and undrillable surface of the osmium but this is better because it has the sapphire and the angle that component can be lifted straight from this design and plonked in with stone dials. Let's see a serpentinite dial, for example. Let's see some aventurine. Let's mesh it with this rehort and these indices. And then you have, I don't know, possibly the perfect Chapek. What do you say to that? Say to that, hell yeah. Great idea. <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I mean, that's a, this canvas can take now an array of natural stone dials that are on vogue again for a few years already now again after being seeing them in the 50s and 70s but um you actually took the words out of my mouth i wanted to ask you um what 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 is that minute ring where the beautiful indices literally uh, are hanging on top or they come over it? let's call them a little shark teeth and what I love about the watch, and, and hopefully that will come out in the sketch that Bentley is making, is the the play of grays, so the tones of grays. So what we didn't mention, Rob, so you spot on mentioned the minute ring seems transparent, translucent, or 50%. I hope it's smoky sapphire, especially also the seconds ring around the seconds hand, which is made of the same material, it seems. And what I love about the fact is that the hands and the indexes are, it seems, stainless steel, polished or half-satinated, uh, untreated, color-wise, but the bridges seem to have a black or gunmetal PVD or DLC coating. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the rotor, I assume, is platinum, as you said, so it's recycled platinum, so that has a different grayish tone. So there's a beautiful play of 
grays going to almost black. And that enhances the depth of the caliber, it seems, on this low-res pic that we have, yeah? So we are working off a low-resolution <laughs> picture. So that really adds to my joy of this guessing game and the describing of the watch. And can't wait to see it in real life. The only thing that seems gold-ish, I think, is the balance wheel where the hairspring is inside. That obviously is brass, I assume, and untreated. Well, I assume it's Glucidor, and I guess that the gear train is also brass, yeah? And then the hour wheel we can see is also brass. Um, They always make those components out of brass. Sometimes I wish that they'd nickel plate all this stuff so that it was all iced out and all silver. We know that it's possible to make silver balance wheels, so I just wish that more brands would do it and just stick with like a three color palette for a movement but there is something charming about the odd flash of gold i was thinking the other day trying to design a movement like it's a difficult thing what do you go for do you go for something that's just totally congruous with the watch like the sx h5 and this skeletonized version thereof has been for the antarctic or do you just go for like the best kind of movement which to me is always going to be something like langer and zona like a really complex finish a gorgeous German silver, the fusion of gold and blue and red and silver together. Like, I don't know what to do. And like in this instance, I think I would have liked to have seen either like a silicon balance, like a black one or a nickel plated components just to really, really keep it like frosty cool. But you know, there's always scope for that in the future. We just don't know what Chapek's planning. And like you said, the uh, nice little floating smoked sapphire. It must be sapphire, right? That, that like just like they did with the retropant, the smoked sapphire on the ice blues. The smoked sapphire seconds track here is uh, is a thing of beauty. Yes, and usually I'm one hundred percent with you because you know I I I like as less as color mixes um, if you're working on a, a color palette, let's say, and this obviously is on the gray scale of things. But because the rubies are so visible and vivid red, I suddenly don't mind a True. bit of gold in there, strangely enough, because usually I, I don't really like gilded hands and indexes and numbers on steel watches with black dials or sport watches. But it, it's strangely enough, I don't know, it works here. And my, my OCD has been ramping up while we're talking. But that's my closing comment, Rob. Thank you for playing this game with me. I enjoyed it. Yes, I enjoyed it too. It's been a lot of fun and very interesting, and it's about to get even more interesting because I am very honored to welcome to the studio the one, the only, Javier de Rocamarel himself, Chapek's main man. Nice to have you here, mate. Can you tell me exactly what it is that you have laid out on the table in front of you? Well, that's the birth of the skeleton, Antarctic. So... Beautiful. It's uh, it's uh, it's actually very nice to see it in in little parts because it's been so difficult to make it happen uh, the way we wanted it. You know, there is a sort of a quest for beauty inside Chapek, and uh, and we've it's been a very long design work to get there. So I don't have the final watch uh, with me because the first prototype was sent immediately to the photographer uh, that is shooting it. But I have uh, I have uh, another skeleton uh, uh, caliber. I got my Antarctic, and I know exactly the way they are, the hands and 
<laughs> and the ring, etc. So I'm ready. I'm ready to do this first and unique idea of a blind reveal. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? I can't wait for Ben to listen to the description you're about to furnish us with because I just can't. I can't imagine how he's going to get it perfectly right and i can't imagine where he's going to make a mistake but <laughs> i can't wait to see it so okay why don't you tell us a little bit about the challenges behind the development of the antarctic skeleton and then just go ahead and describe to us as best you can the movement you see before you so if you want a skeleton is it is if you do a skeleton as a mayor uh work with a file and take out most of the platinum of the main plate uh, matter to take out the matter and that's it, you end up doing a job that will be chirurgical, we say, would say in French. Surgery kind of job, you know. So it's not necessarily aesthetic, but you take all, all the matter out and you can see through. But what's the point if it's not aesthetic? And there is one brand that a lot of, of people know that has been dedicating itself to making skeleton, and that do it very well, by the way. So that's that's also another example of one way to do it. But of course, as Chapek, we never wanted to look like this brand or what they do. So we really tried to find our own way to do it. And we started with what the, what the watch lovers told us, which is, wow, the watch is fantastic, yet the movement is even more fantastic. Could it be possible to have it upside down and to see the movement? That's what I would love to, to see, you know, the, the reverse uh, of the Antarctic. And which is an exercise that uh, some watchmakers have done. Carrie has done it very successfully, and it's interesting. But then we thought, okay, now let's keep the idea of the skeleton. Let's have two sides, which are amazing, beautiful, different and yet you can see through so we wanted one side to be the sx65 that you know which is the back of the watch and we wanted the other side to be a new expression a new kind of dial which is the other side of of the watch that you would never see but done in an extremely beautiful way and the the main idea was to to follow the shape of the bridges. So if, if I take now, that's I'm saying that to help uh, the, the poor uh, artists that will have to design only based on my description, the watch. If I take the Antarctic, uh, the classical one, the SXH5, you can see the three little bridges that are reminding of the pocket watch bridges, but in a very modern shape with that angle. And then you have... Uh, on the top, you have the uh, barrel bridge and the automatic bridge with the automatic uh, movement. And at the bottom of all, you have the balance bridge with the balance wheel and the, and the spear. And the shape of this uh, balance bridge has become indirectly the red line between all the elements of the new design. Why that? Because we felt... If we do a skeleton, we do have to show something beautiful on the dial side. And so we should turn upside down the escapement. But that's the only thing we've turned upside down. The rest 
has stayed in the original position. So you reconceive a movement with the main organ, the, uh, the, the beating heart, that is just reverse. Okay? And, and so you have the, the, the bridge, the balance bridge, that is on dial side. And then we thought, okay, we have the, the balance bridge dial side, then we have the plate that is cut to follow exactly the shape of the little bridges, and then we have the barrel bridge that shows all the mechanism. And we have designed actually a new mechanism to make it even nicer to look at. But then when you reach the, the barrel, came a question of design, of code, of design language. And so what we decided to do was to create a sort of a mirror of, of the balance bridge. So the, the main plate there is cut in the, exactly the same shape as the barrel bridge is and recreates this kind of two arms made each of them of two arms in parallel. So uh, you can, uh, and that's holding the uh, uh, barrel and the tambour, the, the cover of the barrel is also cut with three double bridges or double, double uh, arms, dub, three double arms. I think this component is probably going to be one of the most crucial for Ben to get right or to get wrong, because this is a really interesting attempt at connecting the dots throughout this movement to pull like the mm. form of the balance bridge, use it for the, for the micro rotor as well. And also for the barrel bridge. I mean, it's, it's very clever and I love the cut out uh, barrel cover. That's beautiful. Yeah. The, I'm going fast at the same time and I will come back after a little bit to make sure that the mechanism of the crown is well explained because <laughs> there is there is one one fun part that I love which is to see actually the stop second to see the action on the stop second and to see the stop second blocking the balance wheel I love that I don't know why maybe that's my kids side I just love to play with it and to see all the different elements of the mechanism playing new mechanism that we we have created for the uh, for the skeleton it's a it's a very interesting piece because the more you look at it the more you fall in love it's uh, it's incredible then once you have seen so if you look very closely to this uh, balance bridge it's not a straight axis the two uh, arms have a little angle one with the other it makes probably an angle of 160 degrees, something like that. Uh, so uh, quite open, but it's, it's there. And so it sort of calls for a third arm that is not existing. But this position of uh, three arms divided like this, okay, so three times 120 degrees, is, is a language that you find on the main plane when it's cut for the, uh, the barrel, so only two of the three arms are represented to make it uh, lighter, but then the barrel itself, the cover of the barrel, is cut in three parts with double arms uh, all at 100 degree, 120 degrees from each other. And then when you continue toward the micro rotor, you find 
that this micro rotor is held by the main plate, but the shape of the main plate has been cut to recreate two arms with an angle of 120, 130, 140 degrees uh, between each other. So they recreate this uh, style of the uh, uh, balance bridge. And this is really the element that you can see throughout the, the movement. So that's part of the main plate then? That's not actually a separate bridge that attaches? That's just no, the main plate skeleton? exactly. Oh, it's the main plate. But you see, the main plate, uh, once we cut it, we have finished it with anglage. Okay, so because after we do the anglage, we do the uh, uh, um, gray uh, coating uh, uh, electroplating, which is not rhodium, it's uh, a bit darker. It's more a NAC kind of coating, so we call that also black ore. It's uh, in between a, a very dark uh, uh, black nickel and the rhodium that is a light gray. So it's a medium gray, medium dark gray. And But you can see the anglage on the different uh, part of the uh, main plate. And it's not, these are not bridges. These are just a uh, uh, little cut in the main plate. And, and of course, what uh, uh, catches the eye is the fact that we have our two small wheels for that uh, give the power to the uh, two one ways. And these two small wheels that are in between the micro rotor and the two one ways, that seems to be floating in the air. And that's uh, because now they, they are held by the bottom, by the main plate, but the little arms are so small that you you hardly can can see them from the top and they look uh, they look floating in the air. So the whole mechanism, or nearly the whole mechanism of the automatic is represented and, and visible on the on the dial side. But then there is a sort of a a central signature to this, uh, I would say, our second signature. One of the signatures is, of course, the shape of the of the bridge. The other signature is the tripod at the center. Again, this tripod has double arms, okay? And again, it's about 120 degrees between each arm. And um, and again, it, remem- it reminds of a preceding design that had been made in the past that is the one of the uh, satellite minute train of the rattrapante so if you if you remember how the center of the rattrapante is there is also a tripod and below this tripod you have the minute train and below the minute train you have the the second and below the second the split second rattrapante uh, system so here we have used this uh, tripod to hold the uh, minute and the hour uh, train uh, for the for the hands amazing what a beautiful symmetry that is and i can just imagine how good that's going to look when the skeletonized barrel cover which matches it perfectly aligns with it also every so often that'll be really nice to see so tell us about the sub seconds dial because this is new for the antarctic yeah we had to well, if we really wanted to open it as much as possible, uh, knowing that we had the solution of the tripod, which was a beautiful solution to create a, a central effect, uh, leaving all the rest in void, then we had to accept that the, the second was not anymore to, going to be a central second, but a small second. So 
We are just using, but we had, if you had, if you want on that movement, we have a natural uh, second. That is a small second. So we just decided to plug, to plug it there. You know, you, you just need to have a, a longer axis and, and create the uh, uh, small second there. Now, of course, uh, we played with it with a, with a little bit of uh, habillage and decoration by having this uh, uh, sapphire uh, disc or ring uh, that is made of, of uh, well, it's two discs in one in the other. So a very small one that is connected to a larger one. So the very small one is a, is a small second at uh, 4.30. And at 12 o'clock, five, 12 o'clock, all, I would say, all around the bezel, inside, you have this... Uh, Gray sapphire disc that uh, or ring that is uh, yeah it's a ring not a disc sorry uh, gray sapphire ring that holds the Antarctic indexes in mm. the same way as we did last year for the osmium uh, dial. So uh, in the osmium dial we had to make that the indexes were floating above the osmium, and here it's the same it's the same case. The indexes are floating above the movement, just above it, uh, penetrating in it. So we can we can talk again about the uh, the idea that uh, was uh, behind these uh, indexes, which were the idea of uh, horological bridges that we could turn into real bridges over a lake that was the Terra Deli, and suddenly had so many angles, uh, diamond cuts. That they would shine according to the angle of the sun. That was uh, that was uh, the creative moment uh, we had uh, Adrian and I when we were talking about the way to develop these indexes. So I would say uh, this was the overview uh, of the uh, of the movement, and now we are going to give to Ben a, a few more hints to help him design. So. The first thing is that we spoke about uh, the balance bridge, saying we turned it upside down, but everybody can imagine that there is a problem of hate, which is you cannot turn it upside down and get to the right position. You need <laughs> an hour, you know. If not, you've got your 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 uh, your balance wheel floating in the air, and then you need to have an axis that is different and longer, etc. So what we did was to actually make a new bridge that goes uh, down, you know, uh, toward the, the depth of the caliber so that it uh, uh, puts the uh, escapement at the right level in front of the wheel train. And if you, if you turn around the watch to look from the back, then you realize that in the back, what you see is actually the uh, not anymore the bridge, but part of the main plate. So the main plate has become the balance bridge in the back, and the balance bridge that was in the back has become a balance bridge in the front <laughs> with a new shape in uh, in height, but in geometry two D is the same is the same shape. Okay, so that was a little detail. Uh, what you can see when you uh, go from 6 o'clock to 12 o'clock is 
of course the uh, stop second that looks like a classic stop second so there are three uh, it's kind of uh, uh, strange animals with two legs and a long and a long body and the two legs are toward the top while the long body is toward the uh, balance uh, balance wheel I'm really bad at describing in English that's why I mean hopefully my <laughs> do not listen to me you could say that your, your English is crap you need to go back to school <laughs> and uh, so and then when you play with the mechanism you see that the mechanism is really made of four different parts moving which is also part of the beauty of that mechanism because instead of having a classic one that has a long part uh, looking like uh, the head of a dragon you have the small parts that are like uh, uh, intricated uh, piece of uh, mechanics with the wheels and the, the the stem just below difficult to describe i realize <laughs> okay make the mechanism the way you like ben it's okay <laughs> yeah no judgment you can put it put all the pieces no however you feel like it i found it beautiful but i don't know how to describe it it's a bit like the the head would be a bit like uh, the head of an alligator orientated uh, uh, top to down you know it does look like an alligator yeah yeah it's like an alligator that comes from the uh from the barrel and goes and looks down to the balance uh, to the wheel train, yeah, uh, yeah. So as if it's, yeah, that would be it. And then uh, and then the little bridges are just uh, so well intricated that, uh, well, yeah, it's a bit like as if when you pull it, it's a bit as if suddenly he had a, he had his mouth opened, not exactly, yeah. but you can see you can see he's moving a bit, yeah. So let's call it the alligator head. That's going to be let's fun. call it that. Okay. okay okay i can't wait to see how he's going to interpret that oh it's brilliant okay so what we're going to do now is i'm going to get ben on the line and he's already going going to have listened to what you've said and we're going to yeah. talk through the bits that he didn't understand i'm going to maybe give him some very clear indications of where things need to be located for example where does the balance bridge begin and end on the minute track and so on and so forth and then we're going to see how close he gets to the real thing and right now Everyone listening to this will have seen Ben's picture already on the cover image. So you know <laughs> you know what he's done. You know how he has managed it. And yeah, we will find out. When is it going to be revealed? Is it Monday that it's going to be revealed? Monday. Monday. Okay. So the rest of the watch industry will see this for the first time on Monday, the 27th of March. Exactly. But you guys have got a couple of days ahead. You've got the exclusive preview, a watch industry first, the very first podcast blind reveal. Thanks for joining me, Xavier. And thank you for coming up with this idea. It's really a wonderful thing. <laughs> and it's fantastic to have new ideas every time we, we meet. I love that. Thanks for this creativity, Rob. It's fantastic. No problem, mate. My pleasure. Right. So now I am joined in the studio by my next guest, Ben Lee, otherwise known as Ink Dial. Hi, Ben. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Rob. Thanks for having me today. And it's great to be here. You're a very brave man to undertake this challenge. Just watch industry first. The very You're laughing. It's a nervous laugh, right? <laughs> what you're about to do has never been done before. I'm going to try and describe the watch to you in addition to all of the color Javier provided us with just a moment ago. And then you are going to put pen to paper. Now, in this segment of the show, I'm going to go through it 
using the original SXH5 with which you're quite well acquainted already as a base, telling you what to change, what to move, where these new components go, and trying to describe their shapes. If you have any questions, ask me anything at all. Are you ready to undertake this challenge, my friend? That sounds great to me. Uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So what I want you to do is to take a very good... Oh, I even heard the paper then. It's really happening. And the, and the lid of the pen is coming off. Wow, the quality. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to start with the SXH5 movement that you've worked on before. Now, because we're viewing this from the front, I need you to flip it over in your mind or on the page so that the rotaway is at nine o'clock. The little finger bridges run all the way down the right-hand side and the balance wheel secured by what I'm going to refer to as the bow tie bridge is at the bottom. Now, when you flip this over in the case, exactly as we're talking about, you will notice that the very edge of the bow tie bridge, its rightmost edge, aligns almost exactly with the five o'clock index on the dial. Now, you might be thinking, hang on a second, are there indexes on the dial? The answer is yes, there are indexes on the dial. So around the outside of this movement, there is a smoked sapphire rehort ring, which has the long indices, which were made famous by the very first Chapek Ter Adeli model, protruding out from it and encroaching on the movement. So you have them floating above the skeleton. We've seen something similar before in the Chapek frozen star osmium dial which used these floating indices set into a peripheral chapter ring so if you i can hear you googling that's a smart thing to do yeah, yeah. so have a google there <laughs> <laughs> so okay so the difference between this rehort ring and the chapter ring used in the frozen star is that the frozen star has a flat peripheral ring and here we have a smoked sapphire and slanted ring that comes down towards the movement right i see yeah okay so you remember on the viridian green chapek that you have drawn in the past those long indices were protruding from a slightly raised but flat chaptering around the outside that's the kind of component we're talking about and that sits just above the movement so that makes it easier for you to tell the time we're saying about the bow tie that's where the Number six indicator will lie as well. Well, if you flip it exactly, right? So if you take the movement, you'll notice that the bow tie bridge is actually slightly off center. Um, mm. It starts, this rightmost bow tie bridge starts at the five o'clock marker and it runs in between the 37 and 38 minute marker. You with me? Yeah. So slightly off center. It's slightly off center. Yeah. It's actually slightly to the left as you look at it, right? So, okay. Perfect. 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 Yep. Okay. So taking that bow tie bridge, exactly the same shape and exactly the same size, you need to duplicate that and lay it over the rotor weight because the rotor weight is attached to an actually skeletonized part of the main plate. It isn't a separate bridge. It is all part of the main plate, but it's attached to the center of it to give the impression of a second bow tie bridge next to the balance. So this one will run from exactly in between the 37 and 38 minute markers and end somewhere around the 10 o'clock marker. But like I say, it merges into the bridge there. So it, it doesn't have a screw. It's just attached to the edge of that bridge. 
So once flipped, the rotor is going to be located on the left side. Yeah, around nine o'clock. Around nine o'clock. And this is where we've got some of the first skeletonization coming through. So they've cut away the main plate that would previously have hidden the rotor from view in the shape of a bow tie bridge. So it looks like this little sort of mountain range. You know, you start at five o'clock, you go up to the peak of the Inca block spring on the balance wheel, then down to the valley between 37 and 38, then up again to the very center of the rotor weight, and then down again to around 10 o'clock. And all of the material around that rotor weight has been cut away. So you'll be able to see that rotor weight spinning on the dial side. I see. Right. This bow tie bridge is a really important motif because it repeats once more above the barrel. So you know the barrel now is located between around 12 and 1 o'clock, the central jewel of the barrel right up at the top there. This is a pretty big difference aesthetically from anything that's gone before. So the barrel bridge, you're going to have to get creative with this. There's, there's no way I can really describe it perfectly, but the barrel bridge it has been skeletonized also in the shape of a bow tie bridge to reveal like the whole barrel lid which itself has been cut away so that it has three arms that look like a sort of tripod also in the shape of the barrel bridge okay. <laughs> of the bow tie bridge it's yeah it's really nice but also not the easiest thing to describe like a bow tie bridge but it's held up with three arms take the barrel bridge in general so it's just a flat barrel bridge and on the normal sx h5 it would just be one piece and it would cover the barrel entirely okay and then in your mind cut away all of the material above the barrel so you can see the barrel and then stick a bow tie bridge on top of that and make it part of the barrel bridge itself so the barrel is being held or seems to be held by these two arms that sort of fly away from one another at uh, 120 degrees. Oh, yeah, and they start from around gotcha. 12 and finish at around, let's say, the eight-minute marker. So again, like it's 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 continuing the theme of these bow tie bridges coming out of the edge and pointing towards the middle of the watch dial. Now, the barrel lid is also skeletonized, so you can see the mainspring underneath it, and it's skeletonized in a three-armed pattern that recalls the tripod, which is a component so named in the Chapek Antarctic Ratropant, right in the center of that dial. So Google the Ratropant. Okay, so right in the middle of the Ratropant dial, you see there's this sort of three-armed, tri- oh, not a triangle, like a tripod, and it's holding like the mechanism in place on the Ratropant. That is the shape that the barrel lid has been skeletonized into. So you can imagine that when the barrel turns, at some point it's going to align with the bow tie bridge quite nicely and everything will be everything will be aligned. Yeah, that makes sense. I see now. Oh, I can't wait to see how this turns out. <laughs> it's so difficult what you're doing. It's absolutely insane. Like I can I can barely imagine like <laughs> the <laughs> mental gymnastics you have to perform while you you know you think, oh God, have they skeletonized this and where's the material going to be missing from? Blah, blah, blah. All right. Um, let's carry on and see there's only a couple more things that we really need to communicate and then you really just have to have a go and see how close you get so the next thing is in the very center of the dial we only have an hour and a minute hand here okay the second hand has disappeared 
and the hour and the minute wheel are held in place by a disc that again looks like this tripod. It's a circle and it has one screw in it towards the bottom of it. And it has this three armed pattern in the middle, right in the middle. And this, this disc is big enough so that it just touches about halfway into the micro rotor. So it sort of encroaches on the micro rotor's spin slightly. So th- this part would be f- more similar to the retro. Yeah, it's almost exactly the same, but instead of just being like a three-legged sort of h- retainer, it's actually like a disc as well. So it's got like a, a round circle. It's round, but it's got like the sort of three arms in the middle of it. So it's like a tiny version of the barrel lid, but under the hour and minute hands. And there'll be no second hands in this model. There is a second hand, but it's in a sub-dial between four and five. Okay? Now this... This should be pretty easy. It's almost exactly between four and five. And the second hand is mounted on one of those finger bridges. So let me just, because obviously the pivot is coming through. Let me just count down those bridges. Yeah, I was thinking just a second there, like how would you incorporate? Because I think those finger bridges are really like the most beautiful element of the movement. Absolutely. And incorporate on one of the fingers of the second hand. I think that's, yeah, that's really... It's going to look really nice. It, it does look stunning, actually, I have to say. They've done a really good job. So you've got three finger bridges on the right-hand side of the watch. One of them holds the escape wheel at the very bottom. The one above in the middle holds the third wheel, and that is the one that has the second hand on it. And then the second subdial is just a ring of smoked sapphire. So it's not like solid. It's not flat. It's exactly the same style as the Rattrapant Ice Blue subdials, but in sort of black smoked sapphire and that just sits almost exactly around the diameter of the wheel and just encroaches on the edge of the balance wheel to give you an idea of how big it is there is one more part of the watch to describe and that's it and that's the <laughs> yeah this is the bit that um okay you might remember from uh javier's description the alligator head now this is a very creative way of describing a setting lever so you know like Next to the crown at the three o'clock position or between the two and four positions, shall we say, that's where your setting work would normally go, your keyless work, so that the crown can be unscrewed and pulled out into position and the time can be set or the watch can be wound. I don't know if you've ever seen a setting lever before. You probably have. I don't know if you uh, identified it as such. You could probably Google that as well. And I can't really help much with this other than the fact that Javier rather amusingly believes it looks like an alligator head turned downwards. So there's a jewel in this uh, mechanism, which looks like the eye of the alligator. And then it looks like its jaws are orientated towards the four o'clock marker. And it opens its mouth when you pull the crown out as he likes to say. So this bit, I say, just have fun with it. Like it, you could draw an alligator for all I care. Like if it looks like the lacrosse logo, that's pretty hilarious. But, um, yeah. Google setting lever, have a look at what a setting lever looks like, and then have fun with that side of it. So you can see the overall, the mean. overall appearance of the movement is not as skeletonized as you might have expected. There's only really little cut-throughs near the rotor weight and around the balance. The majority of it is just like 
the revelation of the dial side work for the wearer. Have you got any questions, mate? <laughs> uh, I do. Yes. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> you should see the my um, the sketches I've done now. It's just all everywhere. <laughs> okay, so uh, first question is: uh, Do you have a particular design for the hands? The, um, in uh, especially the uh, the hour and minute. Good hand. question. The hour and minute hand are exactly the same as the normal Antarctic hands, so that's an easy one. And then the seconds hand uh, in the subdial has um, the same shape counterpoise as the regular seconds hand, so it's like a slightly curvaceous arrowhead, and it is just a very simple pointer hand uh, with no tip, no collar. It's just all all. Deal, I guess. I see on the the, the regular SXH5 uh, movement is like a sand blast finish, and it's got this polish edge. What sort of finish are we looking for this model? Also, good question. Yeah, you're, it's it's exactly the same, really. It's a knack coated finish, so it's like a, it's a black blasted finish. There isn't actually much visible anglage on this side of the movement like most of the visual interest is created by the bow tie bridges but for the plates themselves they're all blasted gray and then the rotor weight itself is uh, platinum so a brighter white metal okay i believe there's going to be the the chepek logo or so on the dial um do you have an idea of how you want to place that logo maybe just floating on top of the the movement on the glass or it's a good question because of course in the past when they've done quite complicated stuff especially with the ratchapant um we have found a place for the logo for the ratchapant it's at six o'clock but here there is no logo there isn't even one printed on the crystal there's none whatsoever actually as far as i can see on this image that i have in front of me there is no logo i guess the only place you'll see the name is actually the rotor weight. It does say Chapek and C on the rotor weight. So you can see that even though the rotor weight is partially obscured by the bow tie bridge that's holding it in place. Okay. Man, I'm really excited to, to work on this piece. <laughs> uh, this is actually the the fun, I won't say easy, but the, like the fun part for me now begin because for me, the tough part is this, the the, the recording. <laughs> you get so. used to it. You get used to it. I'm sure you'd be a much better podcast host with a bit of practice than I would be an artist. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you and good luck. And I can't wait to see what you come up with. Thank you. Yes. So that's it. The watch industry's very first blind reveal, a product that has not been shown to any journalists or any collectors at this time has been described on air to an artist who has done his level best to bring it to life in pen and ink. So please check out the image created by Ben Lee, otherwise known as Ink Dial, and let us know what you think in the comments below and what you think of the watch when it finally drops on Monday the 27th of March. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking.